Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. It's more money with leading economist Steve Moore. Stephen Moore is with us, economist. With more than 30 years experience as an economist and as a leading thinker of government on business, showing deep understanding of the shifts in the global economy. He's leading economist Steve Moore with more money on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Welcome, folks. This is Steve Moore. This is the More Money Show on WBC Talk Radio, the number one talk radio station in these United States. Thank you so much for my regular listeners for tuning in. And if you're a new listener, I hope you enjoy the show. We talk about politics. We talk about money. We talk about how you can make money. And we talk a lot about what is going on in Washington and the craziness and how it's affecting your income and your 401k plan and the state of the nation, which I think is, I think the state of the nation is not good right now. I'd love your guys' uh, comments on this. I will be taking your calls at the end of the show, as I always do, because it's my favorite part of the show, is to listen to what you all have to say about the state of this country. And I love this country, but I think that we're so off track right now, it really pains me to see before I get into that, though, I want to say it is a beautiful weekend. I think that the announcer said it's a glorious weekend, and I think that's a great way to describe this uh, uh, respite from the heat wave that we had in uh, earlier of July. So get out, you know, get out and enjoy the sunshine, enjoy the a little bit cooler air and get some exercise because that is the best way to stay healthy and happy. And so, uh, by the way, I was joking with Larry Kudlow on his show earlier this crazy idea by the left that this has been the hottest summer in 100,000 years, <laughs> 100,000 years. Now, I don't even believe that it's been the hottest summer in the last 100 years. I think we've got good data from the 1930s during the Great Depression that there were three really, really hot days uh, and, and uh, hot months that surpass what we've seen now. But isn't it a big joke that they're they're trying to tell us that they know what the temperature of the planet was at the time of Christ and 20,000 and 50,000 years before the birth of Christ? Do you think they have thermostats there? Uh, by the way, one big difference between the 1930s or even any time prior to that, certainly 100,000 years B.C., is what we have today is we have refrigeration, we have air conditioning, we have Planes and trains and automobiles that can move us out of the heat. So you can move out of the south in the uh, summer months, as many people do, and go into the mountains. And so uh, we are, let me put it like this, fewer people die from weather conditions today than at any other time in the history of the world. And that's because we have electricity and we have the ability to cool our homes, heat our homes in the winter, uh, travel away from the heat when it gets really, really hot. Uh, and so um, this idea that somehow we're in some kind of, uh, that we're all going to die from the heat um, is just factually wrong. Fewer people die from heat today across the world than at any other time since the you know, human beings started walking on this planet. Uh, it's fewer people as a percentage of the population. So uh, I just find it to be, I find it to be so absurd that they can make a claim that they know what the temperature of the planet was in these cities, you know, 5,000, 10,000 years ago. I mean, come on. What, you think that thermostats, they have weather stations back in 20,000 BC? Um, so it's, it's so absurd and it shows you how, um, wacky this whole climate change argument is i'm not look i'm not saying the climate isn't of the earth isn't changing it always changes and maybe co2 is contributing to that but by the way when it was hotter in the 1930s that was before 90 percent of the carbon was put into the atmosphere so what caused that heat wave what caused that um another point i want to make and by the way i'm really excited by the call by the show today because i have uh the 
probably the best economist and certainly the most famous economist in the world, and I'm not making this up, the most famous economist in the world, Arthur Laffer, uh, who was behind both the Reagan and the Trump economic miracles, is going to come on the show and explain to us what is going on with the economy today because I'm kind of bewildered. The economy is showing a little bit more strength. We're probably going to get 2% GDP growth for the second quarter, but we still have prices that are so high compared to where they were when President Trump was president. I want to explain this very quickly to you all because Biden did a bit of a victory lap this week saying, oh, the economy is so great and I've rescued the economy and the middle class is back. What what country is he talking about here? Let me give you some statistics. So it is true. It is true that the inflation rate has come down a lot. Remember, the inflation rate was one and a half percent when Trump left office, one and a half percent. And Biden comes in and in eight, just uh, about 18 months, Biden takes the inflation rate from one and a half percent to nine point two percent. I mean, I didn't even think you could do that. I didn't even think you could cause prices to rise so quickly, so rapidly, and and to such a, a new height. And yet he accomplished that. And so we had these, remember how everything was out of control in terms of prices. Now, the good news, because the Fed has had to raise interest rates, that's bad news they've had to raise interest rates, but the good news is that has suppressed the inflation. So now we're looking at inflation somewhere between 3 and 4% down from 9%. But here's the point that I think the president and the media are missing. Yes, the inflation rate has come down, but prices are up by about 15 to 16% since Biden came into office. Okay, so in other words, when you go to the grocery store and you buy eggs or you buy milk or you buy beef or you go to the gas station, you buy your your car, uh, you buy gas for your car or you go uh, to um, on a trip and maybe you buy an airline, ticket because you want to get out of the heat this summer. You want to maybe go somewhere in the north into the mountains. Those prices, uh, by the way, oh, your utility bills are up. Your uh, rental prices are up. If you're a renter, uh, mortgage prices are up because of the higher interest rates. So all of these things on average are up by about 16%. That is like a sales tax that you pay every time you buy something. That's the Biden inflation sales tax. And it's not going away. So when the, when Biden says, I brought the prices back down, no, he hasn't. The prices are still really high. They're just not rising by as much as they used to. Maybe Joe Biden has to go to the grocery store. I probably hasn't been in a grocery store in 30 years. And Jill probably hasn't either. Or maybe he has to get a fill-up at the at gas tank. I mean, just let me give you an example. The gas price was $2.49 a gallon when uh, Trump was president. Today, uh, depending on what market you live in, you're paying about three sixty nine a gallon. That's about a dollar twenty a gallon more you pay. So you're paying about seventeen dollars more every time you fill up your tank. Thank you, Joe Biden. So when he says he's conquered inflation, that's a joke. That's a joke. It's gonna be with us. These higher prices are gonna be forever with us because of the uh outrageous and irresponsible fiscal policy and spending and debt policy of this administration. Now, I want to make sure every listener knows that the debt, the national debt, rose by another $2.2 trillion over the last uh, 12 months. So how is Joe Biden saying he's conquered the deficit when we're borrowing virtually? The only year that we ever borrowed more money was during the COVID year when we shut down the economy. We should we are in a recovery. We should be running a surplus right now. right? We should be actually starting to pay off the bills now that COVID is well over. And yet we're not. Now, one other quick point I want to make to you, because I think this is a really incredibly important uh, uh, dynamic of the economy that nobody else in the media is covering. But Vivek Ramaswamy, who is one of Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show on WABC Talk Radio. Now it's time for my favorite segment of the show where I talk to two of the best in the business, uh, Bob and Ryan Payne. Gentlemen, uh, just very quickly, I would love your update on the market. Ryan, boy, have you nailed it, my friend, with this bullish uh, market, and your theme is be bullish. Uh, should we still be bullish as these markets continue to head to the sky? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, optimism still reigns, Steve. I mean, I think we had earnings season has really started last week. The banks have really been sanguine with their actual outlooks. Um, you're really seeing that lending is still going very, very well. The consumer's in great shape. And, I mean, the consumer runs the U.S. economy. And it all points to earnings season should be, well, less uh, bad than was feared. And that's all the market cares about. I think it's getting better and getting worse. So, uh, Bob, are you equally bullish? I mean, we've had an incredible run this year. The uh, market is up by well over 25% after falling about that amount last year. So is this is this uh, bullish run going to continue? I believe so, Steve, because the, the market's been broadening it out, you know, because we had this big tech rebound um, where stocks are still not even close to the highs that they made over a year ago. But you're seeing a lot of good other areas of the market, international, real estate, energy, banks, financials uh, are, are catching up in this rally. And they're still relatively cheap in terms of their valuation and potential earnings that are coming up next year. So, yeah, to me, it's like a smorgasbord. Like I mean, I, 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 there's so many places to, to, to you know, right now, I, I'm excited. Yep. It's, a, it's a great place to be. Now, I keep hearing, you know, about uh, whether or not the Fed is going to uh, squash this rally. Uh, there's talk about two more uh, rate hikes uh, potentially before the end of the year with the Fed funds rate perhaps going to as high as 6%. I'm nervous about that as an investor because I think that could take some of the sweetener out of this market. Uh, two questions for you guys quickly in the few minutes we have left for this segment. Uh, do you think the Fed should be raising rates, Bob? And, and then I'll ask Ryan, uh, if they do, will, what impact will that have on the market? Well, yeah, they're going to raise rates next week, Steve. It's already baked in the cake. The market's already anticipated. I think it would be bad if they didn't, right? So I think that that's going to be a foregone conclusion. But remember, they just raised rates 5% in a year, and the market is closing in at all-time record highs. So the market right. clearly doesn't care what the Fed's doing right now. <laughs> Ryan, do you agree with that? I do. I mean, I think if the Fed could raise 500 basis points um, and the market and the economy are still chugging along, I think that's one thing we've learned here is yeah. the economy is a little less rate sensitive than it used to right. be, right? Most people have a fixed mortgage. Most businesses locked into low, low rates when rates were a lot lower uh, during the pandemic. And because of that, uh, even with rates going up, it just hasn't had the same detrimental effect that a lot of economists and strategists believe it would. Now, obviously, we didn't think that. We, we thought the economy was going to chug along. Um, so I think overall, I think the rate issue is almost over. You know, the Fed's close to done tightening. Markets are pricing that in. And if anything, the Fed could start lowering interest rates next year. And that's very good for the economy. And it's very good for stock prices. So I, I think overall, I think we're, we're pretty much near the end. The end of the year, as the, as the doors once said. Do you think that rates will be raised a bit this year and then come down next year? Yeah, I, I think, think the Fed's going to definitely have to adjust their inflation outlook, Steve. Wow. Now, inflation was 9% a year ago. The CPI now is now three. 3. It's on its way to 2. The GDP is 2%. So we got growth, inflation going down. And remember, markets don't care about good or bad. They only care about is it getting better or is it getting worse. <laughs> and guess what? It's getting better. It's getting better. It sure is. Well, guys, thanks so much. You've been so right this year. That's why I have Bob and Ryan Payne on the show every week because they are two of the best in the business. We'll be right back. This is the More Money Show on WABC. And optimism 
definitely rains the day here. So if you're thinking to yourself right now, okay, I get it. I got to get my head out of the sand. The world doesn't end very often, Bob and Ryan. I need to get my retirement plan in place or I need to get it looked at. Here's your shot to do it. We're going to keep 10 slots open for the whole show. If you saved over a million dollars for your retirement, Bob and I will run for you our now famous total financial master plan. And we'll do that with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review. There's no other firm out there that will do this work up front. We are going to literally build you your own personalized financial portal. We're going to give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial life and just hone in on every financial issue you need to address today for retirement. Whether it's an income plan, how do you take Social Security? Well, there's lots of ways, one right way for you. How do you draw from your portfolio? How do you factor in inflation? Your costs are going to double over the next 20 years. We're going to put together a full dynamic income plan so you don't run out of money over the rest of your life. We're going to look at diversification. Markets markets have been extremely volatile, like a yo-yo the last two years. Has your portfolio been a yo-yo or have you been sitting with cash, paralysis by analysis, trying to figure out what to do, don't know what to do? We're going to put together a full investment game plan, tie it to your goals, show you how to grow your wealth, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. Wall Street loves to sell you high cost, tax inefficient products like annuities, mutual funds, insurance products, structured products, structured notes. We're going to go through every investment you own a deep dive, show you how to reduce all the costs on your portfolio and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make, it's what you take. You're going to get our full tax playbook. We're literally going to keep 10 slots open if you saved over a million dollars for your retirement. All you have to do is text or call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. If you're one of our next three, three, two. If you're one of our next 10 callers and you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement, our team of financial advisors and certified financial planners will help you to create your own total financial master plan. Now, you can't get your goals without a plan, and you can't get a plan if you don't call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692, or just simply give us a call at 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. So, Bob, you know, at our firm, Payne Capital Management, of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E. We spend all our time thinking about essentially how to keep people retired, get them retired with all the families we work with. And one thing we found is we probably look at more investment portfolios and strategies a week than any other firm out there. We know what all the different firms on Wall Street are doing. And the one thing that really stands out to me is most strategies that are offered are very cookie cuttered. And it's one thing we've learned over the years in financial planning is it's a very customized, it's extremely important that is unique to you, and it's not cookie cuttered, but the problem is a lot of times we end up with a cookie cuttered approach. And as you and I have learned, a lot of times that's a big problem. You know, Ryan, you know why it's a problem? Because every single individual, every family is unique. You have unique problems. You have unique goals. We're all at different ages. So it really drives me crazy that the industry loves to just put this, you know, boilerplate out there and call it planning if they do any at all. I mean, in most cases, you're getting products that are being sold to you. And just and take, you know, ride most portfolios I look at, the investments weren't bought, they were sold. They were, and you end up with that collection of investments that has nothing to do with your goals. Like you and I, we looked over a couple of our competitors' portfolios. You had one of your clients go out and get proposals from everybody, just because we like to see what everybody's doing. And it was remarkable. I mean, this couple was in a high, high tax bracket, right? They're making a lot of income annually. Yet the advisors were just giving these blanketed portfolios with taxable bonds. And if you're in a high tax bracket, you should have tax-free bonds in your brokerage account. And it's a little thing like that, but those tax tweaks that are unique to you can be the difference between a lot of like hundreds of thousands of dollars in your pocket over the course of your retirement or in the government's pocket. But because they were just being siloed into some cookie-cutter process, no one addressed the fact that they have high taxes and there's a lot you can do to essentially, you know, not pay taxes uh, legally if you're smart about it. You know, Ryan, it's even worse than that. I just uh, onboarded a new client, someone who listens to our radio show every week, and he said, uh, all right, Bob, what are we going to do with my portfolio? What are you going to sell? What are you going to buy? And I said, we're not going to do anything until we talk to your CPA and your attorney. Let's make sure things are titled properly. Let's make sure we understand what your tax situation is, what's your marginal bracket this year. 
You know, what are you doing to shelter your income? You don't have a 401k. You know, you're a consultant. You know, we want to make sure that we're sheltering that income so you pay the least amount of tax. How about a Roth conversion, right? He goes, wait a minute. I've worked with these other folks for 20 years. They've never called my accountant. How's that possible? Yeah, that is the biggest red flag ever because if anything is more connected, it's your taxes and your wealth plan, right? I mean, it's all about, we say it every week, but it's not what you make, it's what you take. And there's so many common sense, practical strategies you can use to reduce that tax bill. And most of us, we're just not addressing it. I mean, the other problem too is with a more cookie cutter approach is a lot of times all your assets aren't working in concert. And let's face it, the reason you have all the money saved that you saved is so it can all be used for one common goal, to keep you safely retired throughout your entire life. When you finally do retire, and when you have lots of different portfolios with different <clears throat> excuse me, advisors, what happens is nothing's working together. And that's one of the biggest mistakes you can make when you're building a retirement plan is not having all your assets working in concert. Hey, Ryan, I don't know if you ever watch any financial shows, but uh, they always talk about diversification, you know, to truly be diversified. you got to reduce your risk. can't have all that risk in your portfolio. you got to be diversified. And every single proposal that I've looked at, the advisor told them, you've got to be diversified, except for the portfolio. They don't own any real estate. They don't own any international. They don't own any emerging markets. They don't have any tax-free bonds. They don't have small company stocks. It's all large-cap growth companies. It's amazing. They tell people, yes, we want to be diversified. Are you truly diversified? Sure you are. And you look at the portfolio, and they got a collection of investments. I mean, it just really well, drives me nuts. And that's the problem because it feels like you're diversified because you have lots of different names in your portfolio. And you think by diversifying your advisors that you have lots of different investments that they all are different. And we look under the hood a lot of times, they all own the same type of investments. And that's why it's so important to put everything on a spreadsheet and you really want to map out and understand how well your money's allocated over different investments because just because you think they're different doesn't mean they are. Look under the hood, a lot of these mutual funds, they own all the same stocks, whether it's Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Apple. And what happens is you have an over-concentration in the same stocks, and then when the music stops and the market goes down and all your money's in the same place, well, that can be a really bad situation. It's the proverbial, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And that's why it's so important to be proactive to see where those underlying risks are. Because once the market goes down, you've missed the boat. Well, that's the whole thing, right? You know, the, the biggest problem, the biggest thing I see is that 90% of every portfolio I've ever analyzed or any plan that we've reviewed, the investor, the client, was taking way more risk than necessary because they didn't understand what their goals were, that the true goal of financial planning is to make sure your assets grow as conservatively as possible to overcome inflation because inflation is the biggest risk everybody faces right now. It is, and here's the worst part about it. What does our industry do, right, because it's so cookie-cutter, is they make you take a risk tolerance test. And that sounds great, but the problem is when markets are up and the animal spirits are out, guess what? Your risk is higher. And when markets sell off and the economy is not looking good, your risk goes down. So it's really an emotional response to how you feel at that time. That's not how you build risk in your portfolio. I mean, the real way to look at it is how much risk do I need to get to my goals? Don't take too little risk where you're not going to get to your goals, but don't take too much risk where essentially your portfolio could get hit really hard in a down market. You've got to find that right balance. and It has to do with your goals. Not that cookie-cutter risk tolerance test, Bob, that every firm loves to give you. You know, Rye, they call you the dean of common sense for a reason, right? You, everything you, <laughs> you're saying right now is just pure common sense. And the one thing I've learned on Wall Street is the one thing is a lack of is common sense. Yeah, and if you're thinking to yourself right now, I need a common sense approach. I don't know where my risk is. I have money everywhere. I'm not truly diversified. I don't even know if I'm diversified or not. I don't know if I'm taking advantage of every tax break I can be. Well, here's your shot to find out. We still have six slots left. If you saved over a million dollars for your retirement, Bob and I will run for your now famous total financial master plan, and we'll do that with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review. We literally look at everything. There's not a firm out there that will do this work up front. We're going to go as far as building you that personalized financial portal, give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial life, and just hone in on every financial issue you need to address today. You need an income plan for retirement. How do you draw from your portfolio in the best, most efficient manner? How do you take Social Security? How do you factor in inflation? Your costs are going to double over the next 20 years because cost of living is going higher. 
We're going to put together that full dynamic income plan to ensure that you don't run out of money. We're going to look at diversification. Markets have been extremely volatile, like a yo-yo the last couple of years. Has your portfolio been a yo-yo too? Or have you been sitting in cash, paralysis by analysis, can't figure out what to do? We're going to put together a full investment game plan tied to your goals, show you how to grow your money, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. Wall Street just loves to sell you high cost, tax inefficient products, whether it's an annuity, a mutual fund, a structured product from a brokerage firm, whatever they're selling today. We're going to go through every investment you own, every deep dive of every investment, and we're going to show you where all the hidden costs are, how to reduce that cost and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make. It's what you take. You're going to get our full tax playbook. We literally have six slots left if you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement. All you have to do is text or call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. If you're one of our next six callers, you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement. Our team of financial advisors and our certified financial planners will help you to create your own total financial master plan. Now, there's no obligation. There's no cost. But you won't have a plan if you don't text or call right now at 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. Hey, if you want to learn more about myself and Bob and our firm, Pain Capital, simply go to bebullish.com. That's bebullish.com. You can learn more about our firm here in New York City. And in Pennsylvania, Jacksonville, simply go to bebullish.com. Stay tuned. We got more, more money coming your way. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show on WBC Talk Radio. Uh, I am about to introduce uh, Art Laffer, the best economist and most famous economist, not just in the United States, but in the world. So this is a real treat. But before I get to Arthur, I just want to remind, uh, you all that I will be taking your calls at the, in about 15 minutes when I'm, uh, done with my discussion with Arthur. Uh, and that number is 1-800-848-9222. And what I want to ask you specifically, what areas of the government do you think we need to cut? Because we're going to need to be cutting the massive increase in government spending that happened during COVID and continues to happen under Joe Biden with a six trillion dollar budget today. When I came to Washington, the budget was one trillion. Now it's six trillion. What would you like to see cut? I'd like to get rid of foreign aid. I'd like to get rid of the Department of Education. I'd like to get rid of the Department of Energy. I'd like to see an across the board reduction of 10% to 15% in the federal workforce. But I want to hear your ideas about how we got this budget balanced by cutting government spending that we do not need. So that number, again, 1-800-848-9222. Well, it is now just a, a real uh, pleasure and privilege to uh, uh, introduce Arthur Lapper. Arthur is, as I said, the, the best economist in the world and the most famous economist in the world. You all know him from the famous Lapper Curve. He's also the author of so many books, including two or three that Arthur and I have, have co-authored, including The Wealth of States and The End of Prosperity, among others. Uh, and Arthur, thank you so much for joining. My pleasure, Steve. So just as a quick point, when I went to Washington, GDP was $1 trillion. <laughs> Well, you're not that old, was in 19, 19, Yeah, I am. It was 1970, 71, 72. In fact, the big controversy that was surrounding my name at the time was a GNP forecast of 1065, which was for oh, 1971. Oh, yeah, that was your famous forecast, right? You, you well, were they, the one who called it. They said it was, but, you know, yeah. I really didn't do it, but I took credit for it. Why the hell not? It came in true. Golly. Well, the, uh, but then is, I didn't then do is it, now. But, yeah, then as now you were criticized for, remember, I, I, rem, I remember reading about that, that, oh, Arthur Laffer doesn't know what he's talking about. He's making these failed claims about GDP. And of course you were exactly right and they were exactly wrong. Okay. I want to start, Arthur, if I could. Uh, I, I find myself mystified by this economy. We're probably going to have 2% growth for the, 
second quarter, which is, you know, a decent number. It certainly isn't negative. It isn't the recession that a lot of people were calling for the first quarter of this year. Uh, the, we do have high employment right now. There are 9 million job openings, so that's a good thing. Uh, the question I have for you is what's going on? And, and related to that, is the inflation problem over? Well, uh, let me answer all thousands of questions that you just put there. But let me let let me put them. The problem now is not a recession or a recovery or a boom or any of that. Uh Since the uh, since the for the last twenty years, since the end of the last century, uh, U.S. real GDP growth, U.S. uh, per per adult. Uh, if you look at the real yields, we have been a long, long period of senescence of decline of just petering out of our economy. Uh, if you look at the real returns on a unit of capital, it's declined from, oh, let's say in 2000, it was somewhere around uh, four or five percent. Now it's down to a negative three or four percent. That is terrifying. Right. Our growth rates on GDP, we haven't had any eight, nine, seven percent growth rates for quarters or anything like that at all, except for the recovery from the pandemic, which was following a huge decline. Right. You know, right. this economy has been declining. Participation rates are falling and they're gradual. We are bleeding to death. We are bleeding out as our economy. And we're not the only ones, Steve. Uh, Europe is terrible. I mean, Britain, I, I jokingly say it's so bad that they're calling the pound the ounce now. Uh, you know, if you look at Chile, Chile has turned over and flipped over. China has flipped over. Russia's disappeared in Japan. I don't think anyone even heard of Japan anymore. They used to be considered equals with the U.S. It's gone. So when you look at it, the real problem is secular decline, senescence of the U.S. economy, not whether we're going to 2% growth stinks. It's just yeah. an awful growth rate. Right. We need to be growing at four, five, six, seven percent growth rates to bring us back to where we were. But we aren't doing it, Steve, and that's because of all the bad policies. Okay, so what what in particular? I mean you're you're covering, you know, now a twenty some year period with the George W. Bush administration and then of course uh the Obama administration and then Trump and now Biden. Uh so we've had two Republican presidents and three what two or three Democrat presidents during that period. What are we doing wrong? Well, let me just say on, on the Trump thing, he was in for two years before the pandemic hit. That's right. And that yeah. just wiped it out. Uh, you know, he was doing pretty well in bringing back yeah. recovery. I mean, I was very pleased with the results there. And then just yeah. whammo, it just was yeah. knocked off its feet. But what are we doing wrong? Government spending. Uh, yeah. The government spending, you know, transfer payments. You know, yep. they are taxes. And whenever you transfer resources, you reduce economic growth. And we've been transferring resources like MAD. Not only from rich to poor, we've been doing it from this to that, from the other to this one. Every single group has been getting paid off, and all of it has added up cumulatively to a a disastrous growth. Our tax policies lately have not been good at all. Now, Trump did a great tax plan in there. That was the first time. But then, you know, we've seen the dissipation of that with with, uh, Biden and all there. Uh, If you look at monetary policy, I mean, if you look at the two years under Biden, the total price increase, what what? What is the total price increase? Something 16%. like 15%? 16%. About 15 or 16, yep, yep. Yeah, that, that's a big number, Steve. And then it we've is. got all these trade wars, all these sanctions placed on countries, which is devastating to the U.S. economy. And regulations up the wazoo. I mean, there hasn't been an oil project that guy didn't want to kill. And, yeah. you know, these things all add up to being very burdensome from economic growth for the health of the U.S. economy in the long run. And every other so, country yeah. following suit. It's not just us. We're the tallest midget in the group. <laughs> well, well said. And uh, just to document what you're saying, we just looked at these numbers that, you know, our government is a share of GDP. I think you know this, uh, Arthur, but during COVID year in 2020, for the first time in American history, the government sector was larger than the entire private sector output, which is pretty scary. But even it then, is. you know, COVID's been over for two years now. We still have government spending, by my estimates, of about 38 to 40 percent of our GDP. It should be about 25 percent. Yeah, you know, and and if if you look at those numbers, Steve, it's just when you're in a, a COVID problem, that's not when you spend money like mad. That's when you get rid of payroll taxes. Right. If you want to transfer resources, right. you don't want to do it at the expense of jobs. You want to do it in encouraging jobs. You know, exactly. If we'd have done it. You and I, you and I and Larry I Kemmel remember. and a few others, 
Yeah. Talked about it. We should have gone through there not spending the money. We should have gone there waiving the payroll tax to encourage people to go back to work, to get there, encourage companies to employ. But now we have a participation rate way, way low by any type of historical <laughs> standards. And oh, it, by and the it, way, it's very yeah. scary. Yeah, let me just add something to what you're saying. I had forgotten about that, that you and I had a piece in the Wall Street Journal actually calling for the payroll tax cut. And, and Donald Trump, we met with Donald Trump, remember, and he in the Oval Office, and he wanted to do it. And I'll never forget the argument, uh, even among some Republicans, but the Democrats, too. They said, oh, that would go to the people. That money would go to the people who are working, not to the people who are not working. And I'm like, well, that's the whole point. Yeah, well, you know, they, these people who are not working are being discriminated against that they don't get salaries. It's unfair. <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm just joking with you, but yeah, I don't no, mean I, it to be a joke. If yeah. you're going to return money to the economy, return it for the production of goods and services. Exactly. Don't return it for sitting on your tush uh, eating hamburgers. Yeah. Uh, you I, know, I, and mean, I do understand yeah. the need for welfare. We all do. But make sure you don't get the productive people so that they can't handle the load. Well put. Now, uh, do the uh, let me just ask you a question about the Fed because they're meeting next week and they're expected to raise interest rates. Is that the solution? No, uh, the Fed is, should be not doing any of that. The Fed should fix the monetary base or the balance sheet of the Fed. I would pr- right. like to see it down around two trillion, uh, not to where it is now at eight trillion or whatever the heck wow. it is, some huge number. Yeah. Uh, but what I'd like to do is see it fixed at some and then just have them stabilize that number. Uh, and then stabilize the dollar there. But let market interest rates seek their own level. Don't have the Fed setting. I mean, you know, there's a huge belief that Paul Volcker raised interest rates. He didn't. Paul Volcker followed interest rates. He did not right. lead interest rates. Right. And being a market follower is very different than setting prices. And these guys are setting prices, and there's nothing but downside coming from that. Believe me when I tell you. So are you saying that the inflation problem is over or, you know, I don't I don't think the inflation problem is over. The underlying conditions that led to this inflation of what you said, 15 percent price rise uh, are not solved. They're, They're not. I mean, you know, we're sitting there right now with the same system we had then. We are sitting there with. Fed members who really don't understand monetary policy. There, there are no Paul Volkers in that group. There are no Alan Greenspans. There are no McChesney Martins. These people were selected by for criteria, not other than their monetary competence. It should be selected only because of their monetary competence, and that's not the case. So, so I'm you worried talking, about inflation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I'm just—they're they're not doing monetary yeah. policy correctly. So you are in touch with many of the. Uh, presidential candidates, because I know they're calling you all of the time, uh, including some of the Democratic candidates, which I love. Uh, what what is the key which advice? Which do you love? Well, I, I love what a no, lot I'm of what our, Steve, uh, Steve, I was playing, I would do a play on words, which I love. <laughs> well, never mind, yeah. never mind. You love the action, <laughs> I, not I, the people. Like, I love the fact, I love the fact that these, some of these guys are, and, and ladies are listening to you. So, uh, in, including RFK. And by the way, people, will you remind people about John F. Kennedy, what he did for the economy? Cause people don't know this, but it's, I don't know if you, I don't think you were there back then when he was president. I was, I, I was, he, honestly, I was. <laughs> uh, I, I was asked to be on the staff of the, of the, of the, of the, of the, of the uh, council. Uh, at that time, that's when I was at Brookings. Well, I guess it was right afterwards. It was with yeah. Lyndon Johnson, but I was around that time. In fact, the the president uh, Kennedy gave my commencement address at Yale. Oh so that you know that's you know that that was sixty three <laughs> years ago. Oh my so lord! So what what did John F. Kennedy do that that made the economy so well, strong? Kennedy, John, let, let's just talk about. He did a lot of very good things. He uh, he reaffirmed the dollar's convertibility into gold. Right. That he did do in response to uh, De Gaulle, who was trying to threaten the U.S. with cashing in all the uh, his all of his dollars for gold. He then cut tax rates. Now he cut yep. the highest tax rate from 91 percent to 70 percent. Wow. He cut the lowest rate from 20 percent to 14 uh-huh. percent. He cut the corporate rate from 52 to 48 percent. He tried uh-huh. to cut it to 46 percent, but do you know the Republicans blocked him on all of these <laughs> measures? I mean, literally. Yeah, a lot of the. I think the, a lot of the Republicans voted against his tax cut back then. They they did. He also had what was called the Kennedy Round Tariff Negotiation, which was the largest tax cut on traded products in U.S. history. Wow. 
Now, those are all some of the things he did. He did other wonderful things that had enormous economic consequences, but you probably wouldn't call them economic policies. But uh, anti-discrimination is very pro-growth. Uh-huh. And, you know, he tried to get segregated schools away. If you remember Bobby right. Kennedy standing on the yep. steps of the University yep. of Alabama, I mean, those were all just wonderful, wonderful policies of trying to stop discrimination by race and by gender. And uh, he did do one thing that I that I was uh, that I'm critical of. And frankly, he allowed unions to take over uh, right. in the public service yeah. area at the I unions like in the in there. Yeah. But, you know, no one's perfect. And he can't crack down on crime. If you remember Bobby Kennedy. Yes, I do. Crime fighter ever. He went after the mafia. He went after uh, you know, and all the and the Teamsters, unions. the Teamsters too. The teamsters. Yeah, he was very anti the type corrupt unions. Corruption. And yep. you know, bottom line, he was a wonderful president. Strong and then, dollar, wonderful yeah. president. And then, of course, you you did have a profound impact on Ronald Reagan. You had known him when he was governor of California. A lot of those policies that JFK put in place. Uh, Reagan borrowed a lot of those ideas and, and did it again. Well, it wasn't just JFK. If you remember, Bobby Kennedy ran for president and, and then was killed. Uh, you know, if you remember, shot in the hotel yep. in California. Sir his plan, his tax plan was Ronald Reagan's tax plan. Wow. In other words, he was going to follow his brother's plan, wow. you know, cutting 91% to 70, but he was going to go the next step, which was that the plan there. When I was, at, you know, I've been out to the Cape a number of times visiting with the Kennedys and, and right. the family. I I feel very close to them. But Ethel Kennedy used to say, "You sound just like my Bobby, Arthur. You sound just <laughs> like my Bobby." And you know, he, he he was very much that way. I think Reagan was really the person who took Bobby Kennedy's tax plan and put ah, it into place. Amazing. And amazing. A, it is amazing. It's a wonderful thing and a wonderful legacy, and um, and it worked. So, uh, as you know, uh, by the way, can I keep you for free, a few more minutes, Arthur? I know you've I don't. Got, I said you, I don't. You've got, you've got me for the rest of my life, could, Steve. And that's this, assuming <laughs> well, I don't Well, this is a fascinating. I, I I don't know about you folks, but I find this to be a fascinating history lesson. So, uh, Reagan came in and slashed those rates from seventy to fifty percent, and then we get it down to twenty eight percent, and the economy yeah. exploded. I remember that's about the time I first arrived in Washington, and. Uh, I think you said we have, what, 18 months where the economy grew by, what, 12% or something like that? That's correct. <laughs> exactly. From January 1st, 80 to 83 <clears throat> to June 30th, 84, it grew by 12%, an 8% per annum compound growth rate. Amazing. What's not the Amazing. love with no inflation, so, dropping inflation, of course. So then why does why do we have a president today who says it was all just trickle-down e- economics? Because they don't talk economics, they talk politics. They want you to hate Reagan because uh, of tax cuts and because the Republicans this time happen to back them. Republicans uh-huh. have historically been the enemies of tax cuts. I mean, if you look at Barry Goldwater and a lot of the other stuff, Bob Dole and some of them have been very anti-tax cuts. In fact, very pro-tax increases. And Eisenhower, I mean, God. And now the Republicans are backing tax cuts, and now the Democrats say it was wrong, it doesn't work, trickle-down's better, you know. It's it's just politics, Steve. You know, these people claim they have their own opinions, but, you know, there's no room. You don't have a right to have your opinion. This is about facts, not how you feel. And so the facts one, uh, are that Reagan's tax cuts worked. Yeah. Trump's so worked. one cool one cool thing about you, in addition to all the things we've been talking about, is so many of the more recent presidential candidates, including Donald J. Trump, and I, I think you helped – Herman, the late great Herman Cain, and I think you helped the great Steve Forbes when he ran for president on the flat tax. So that those ideas uh, that were so exciting, you know, I remember when Steve Forbes ran, and remember he was taken on Bob Dole. He was headed to first place in that race, and Herman Cain caught on with that. Remember nine nine nine? Remember that one? Oh, I do. I do remember it well. (laughs) (laughs) So you were you were helping those candidates as well, right? Well, I'll help any candidate. I don't give a damn if you're a Republican or a Democrat, liberal or conservative. Whatever. If you like tax cuts, I'm your, I'm your guy. Uh, if you're gay and like tax cuts, I'm your guy. If you're straight and like tax cuts, I'm your guy. If you're pro-life and like tax cuts, I'm your guy. If you're pro-choice and like tax cuts, I'm your yeah. guy. I am here for economics. I'm not yeah. here for social policies. You know, I have my own views on social policy. Don't right. get me wrong. But I'm not here for public policy and social policies. I'm here to create economic growth in America and in the world. 
and I work across so, countries. Yeah. Well, so do you, Steve. You and I are the <laughs> same on this. Well, I love part. I should tell people that uh, Arthur Laffer and Steve Forbes and Larry Kudlow, who's on this show, uh, on this station before I am, and I formed a group, uh, what was that, 2015, called the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. And I always yep. tell people we're the supply side Beatles. And you and Steve Forbes and Larry Kudlow make the music and I bang the drums. But, uh, it's been an amazing <laughs> run. But I wanted to, I wanted to, uh, ask you about, uh, you, you said you'll help any candidate and I forgot that you helped Jerry Brown when he ran for president in what was that, 1992? And it was my plan. I mean, it was my complete flat tax, which was getting rid of all federal taxes except for two, one on income and one on (laughs) business net sales and getting rid of all of them and having a 12 percent or 13 percent flat tax from the first dollar to the last dollar on those two. You'd more than match all the revenues. And Jerry Brown started eighth in the race and ended up second in the race and almost beat that blue eyed guy from Hope, Arkansas, who was sucking his lower lip. And we came in. I mean, uh, if Jerry hadn't selected Jesse Jackson as his running mate, we would have won. We just won the primary in Connecticut and the primary in Oregon, and we we're coming into California and New York, and then he announces his choice for vice president. But we still got the second largest number of Democrats of, of votes in the Democratic primary, Steve. Wow. This is amongst the heebie-jeebie left-wingers. They love a flat tax, too. We all do. Yeah. It would be so great. No deductions, no exemptions, nothing. You're treated just like everyone else, old or young, tall or short, fat or skinny, black or white, male or female. It doesn't (laughs) matter. You face the same damn tax code as everyone else. We are treated equally, all Americans equally. And you wouldn't need 80,000 new IRS agents, right, if you had a simple You wouldn't need any because it's all collected by (laughs) by the businesses. You know, the VAT is concluded, is collected by the business. And if you've got a flat tax rate, there are no deductions, exemptions, or exclusions, and the rates are the same for everyone. If the the government owes you $100, if the company owes you $100, they send you 87 and send 13 into the government. That's it. You don't even have to file a return. Well, what I found, I mean, that makes so much sense, and I think probably 90% of my listeners agree with you on that. But I'll have to tell you, Larry, nobody in Washington wants that because the the center of power in Washington is through the tax code. That's how they buy and sell. You just complimented me enormously, by the way. How so? I don't know it, but you just mistakenly called me Larry. And that is the biggest compliment I could possibly have. Well, I was on Larry's so flattered. <laughs> um, and, and you're older than I am, and I'm already showing the signs of dementia. Um, so last question um, is about Bill Clinton, because, you know, I look at Bill Clinton's record. You know, I thought his first two years in office were a disaster. Remember, we had Hillary Care and we had the tax of course, increases. Of course, of course, yeah. And then, and then, but you know, after Newt Gingrich became speaker, and and remember, it was Newt. I mean, it was Bill Clinton who famously said the era of big government is over. Remember that? And we yeah, sure we did. saw some we saw some great rates rates of economic growth and prosperity. The stock market went through the roof under Bill Clinton, and sure you did. had uh, and you know you had. Uh, you know, a, a very, oh, you have balanced budgets for the for only time in my surpluses. lifetime. Surpluses. So, well, Kennedy had surpluses too, by the way, just yeah. for the record. Wow. So, so why, why yeah. is it that Bill Clinton was able, the, my, my Democratic friends say, well, look at because Bill Clinton. He cut tax he rates. A, every time we've cut the highest tax rate in America, every single time that we've yeah. cut the highest tax rate, we've had prosperity. Uh, we've had a greater performance by the poor and minorities disenfranchised, the lower echelons of the economic ladder, and we've had higher revenues from the rich every time. So, you know, aside from the myths that these guys are perpetrating, the truth is cutting the highest tax rate raises revenues from the rich. But, but wait, wait, Bill Clinton raised taxes. The poor. But Bill Clinton raised oh, no, taxes. No, 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 he did not. I mean, he did raise two tax rates. That's true. But he got rid of the capital gains tax for owner-occupied homes. He cut government spending as a share of GDP by more than the next three peacetime presidents combined. He got rid of all of these other taxes. I mean, he was great. He did do the top two brackets. He raised it from 31 to 39.6. That's true, and he shouldn't have done that. And Reagan shouldn't have put in anti-dumping provisions against traders either. But Bottom line, Clinton was a great president, and I wish we could have 10 of him right in a row of him, not her, him. He was terrific. I mean, so, gosh, we uh, got rid of the retirement test on Social Security, Steve. You actually yeah. had to look for a job before you got welfare payments. How wonderful yeah. is that? That was yeah. all Clinton. 
Oh, by the way, something I mean, else happened. Great, by the way. Newt yeah. Gingrich. Yeah. Without Newt, it probably wouldn't have happened. But yeah. we oh, all give credit to the president because the president signed those laws into effect. He was just great. Yeah. Don't, don't forget, by the way, uh, in addition to all the things that you just mentioned, we had a big reduction in government spending under oh, Bill yeah, Clinton. But, but the biggest cut in the government spending is a share of GDP. I said I thought uh, in uh, three peacetime presidents combined. I mean, you know, so, we cut government spending as a share of GDP by three and a half percentage points. That's a okay, lot. So, <laughs> we have two minutes left. So uh, you you described the problem very well at the beginning of this uh, interview where you said, you know, government spending's out of control. The tax rates are too high. Uh, we, we have a lot of Republicans and Democrats now talking about tr- trade protectionism. Who's going to turn this around? Do you think that if Donald Trump is reelected which you know could very easily be the case do you think he can turn this battleship around yes i think donald trump could do that very easily i do think that he's got a proven record uh that no one else has uh of yep. actually doing it uh you know the other candidates are, are i think really wonderful people and i love yep. them i mean tim scott what's not to I adore love tim, scott. And yep. tim scott i mean you know and then you look at the sanders he's fantastic fellow yaley by the way steve and I mean, he's just terrific there. If you look yeah. at Ted Cruz, you look at all of these others. I mean, you've got some really wonderful, wonderful candidates here. Uh, but yeah. Trump does have the proven track record. He did it, and I think he can do it again. And finally, I said finally a few minutes ago, but this is so fascinating. RFK, you know, you you know the Kennedy family. RFK Jr. is taking a lot of criticism. I saw that the uh, – I think it was uh, one of the Kennedy – kids was really attacking uh rfk jr and saying oh this is not what my grandfather would have wanted to do and blah 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 i mean what do you what do you make of rfk i think it was a shriver if i if i'm if i'm not mistaken. yes you're right yes yep it was i think it was a shriver and you know they've got mixed loyalties first place there are lots and lots and lots of them as you said uh number two they've all bought into the democratic party and they are under intense scrutiny uh by all the democrats all the new modern democrats the left-wing democrats for possibly being disloyal. And, you know, he's under enormous attack and, you know, trying not to uh, antagonize the left. Right. And I feel very sorry for Bobby because, frankly, every one of his brothers and sisters loves him very, very much. And they just wish he wouldn't talk. They, they, they really want to see him muzzled more than anyone because it, it, it hurts them. I mean, and I could tell you most of the Kennedys have relationships with the Democratic Party in an active sense. And whenever you see one of them going out and doing something like Bobby does, it puts their positions at jeopardy. And it's just unfair that those people have attacked their own family. The Kennedys are the best family in Democrat politics in centuries. And, you know, they are just wonderful. And God knows Bobby Kennedy reflects the true legacy, the true legend of of the Kennedys, not some sort of hang on with the Bidens. Uh, And I just have to tell you that I'm I'm so pleased with his his stand up and just yep. taking a good shot the way it should be done. Cancel cultures cannot be allowed, Steve. People Amen. have a Amen. right to their own views, and if they, especially if they're backed by facts. You know, it's not about how you feel, but you know that Fauci and all of that handled COVID-19 incorrectly. Now, yep. no one asked me how I would have handled it. I probably would have screwed it up even worse than Fauci. But I, I wasn't in charge. I wasn't yeah. the expert on the subject. Fauci was, and he screwed it up badly. He sure did. When experts screw uh, it up. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, yeah. Steve. Well, uh, we're listening to Arthur Laffer, who is one of the best, if not the best economist in the, and that's just in the country, in the world. And what a profound impact you've had. You know, how old are you? 110 now? Arthur? I'm a little older than that, Steve, but thank you. <laughs> I, I'm flattered that um, you got my age a little. Well, you're the, you're the best. Thank you. So, and I know how Thank much you, you treasure your weekends because you work, you know, 60 hours during the week. So thanks for taking some time off and, and educating our listeners. Folks, this is WABC Talk Radio, uh, the number one talk radio station in the nation. I uh, hope you have a great, great weekend. It's going to be a beautiful Saturday afternoon and a beautiful Sunday all over the East Coast and all over the country. Uh, hang in there, folks. Help is coming. It's the free market system that is going to create the prosperity that we need to get out of this rut and balance the budget. And peace and prosperity is what we're all about. Have a great weekend.